As we begin our time in God's Word together today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful for the blessings of this day, grateful for the ways that you have blessed us uh, this year in, the, in the, uh, all the reasons that we have to give thanks this week. Lord, as we come to your word, we're grateful for it. We're grateful for it because it reveals to us the truth of who you are and who we are and what our purpose is. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work through the preaching of your word, that these, your people, might be encouraged and sent out to glorify you and their own purpose and meaning in this world. Lord, I pray that you would bless us now in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, the passage that we have is very simple to find. It's at the very beginning of the book. It's Genesis chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and be turning there, uh, we're not going to look at the whole chapter as we read most of it. Uh, earlier in our responsive reading, but we are going to look at a few verses as we consider uh, another section or another part of our confession of who God is. If you remember, if you've been here uh, through the last few uh, Sundays, you'll know that we're studying through the Apostles' Creed, which is an ancient statement of faith as to what we believe as Christians. It is kind of a baseline statement of what Christians believe. And we've already seen, as we've stated our confession of who God is, that God is Father and Almighty. And so, again, we come to confess our faith through this creed. And as we've done each time we've met and studied this, we're going to recite it again. So if you look in your bulletin, you'll notice on the inside of your bulletin, we have the Apostles' Creed printed there. And there are a few differences, maybe from the way that you learned it, if you've learned it before. But we're going to read it together and recite it together as my intent is that we'll kind of commit this to memory and it'll be kind of a framework for us to have as a a way to state our faith in Christ and in who God is and who the Holy Spirit is and what we believe as Christians. So let's read this together as we begin our time and study today. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So we've already confessed and seen that we believe in God the Father Almighty. And when we confess that, we are saying that God is a personal, spiritual being who is intimately involved in His creation, and, as we saw last week, that He is in full control over all that He has made. He is sovereign over this whole universe. And so today we come to confess a third thing about God the Father, that He is maker or creator of heaven and earth. So by confessing that we believe that God is the creator of this world, we distinguish ourselves from two popular beliefs of our time. 
There are two beliefs that sort of, in my mind, they contradict one another, but yet most modern Americans hold to one form of this belief or another. And so we distinguish ourselves, first of all, from the idea that the world came into existence by purely random, chaotic processes of natural forces. We reject the idea of no God creating this world, of this world coming to existence by, uh, from nothing, by the forces of chaos, by the forces of nature themselves. Now, there are many who believe that this universe came to existence from nothing, or at least from some primordial atom which exploded to create all that we now know. Now, this belief in an unattended, uncaused Big Bang, in my mind, both as a pastor and as an engineer, is a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale for, two, for three reasons. One reason is that it denies science. It denies one of the most basic principles of science, or a few of the most basic principles of science. One being that it denies Newton, Isaac Newton's three laws. Not Isaac Newton established three laws of motion, which pretty much everything that we use today depends on. Things like your engine in your car. And, and the way that we figure how that works, that all goes back to Isaac Newton's three laws of motion and force and energy. And one of the laws that uh, Isaac Newton uh, established or he discovered uh, is that a, an object will stay at rest until it is acted upon by another object of equal mass or greater. And we all know this to be true, right? If you, if you uh, decide that, uh, if you're watching football yesterday, for example, and, uh, and you watched Auburn lose, unfortunately, <laughs> to a team that we paid to come play us, uh, <laughs> then you know that as you're, as you're watching that football game, if you have a, a, a giant lineman who's running full speed ahead, and this little bitty cornerback is out there in the flats waiting to make a tackle on the running back that is coming to, uh, on the sweep. And that cornerback comes up and he's going to challenge that lineman to try to get back past him. Who's going to win that? The lineman, right? The lineman's just going to run slap over that running back. And the reason is the lineman is of greater mass and he acts upon a poor little quarterback of smaller mass, and he destroys him, right? That's Isaac's law of motion and force and mass, all right? And we all know that to be true. We use it every day, all day, even though we don't think about it. But yet the law of, of the, the theory of the Big Bang, that all the world came into existence by a random uh, explosion, denies that because to say that it came into existence by an un uh, by some uh, primordial atom that existed and didn't have any other force to act on it is to deny that very basic principle that we all know. Second, it denies the second law of thermodynamics. Now, the second law of thermodynamics sounds very complicated, but it really isn't. And it basically is the idea that the world uh, or that any system goes from greater complexity to lesser complexity. So if you think about it, when you build a fire, you, you stack all the wood up, you light it on fire, 
and you watch it burn, you don't expect all that wood to burn up into a house, right? To just all of a sudden you light it and boom, you've got a 3,000 square foot house. You don't expect that. It doesn't go from greater or lesser complexity to greater complexity. It goes from complexity to less complexity. That fire causes all of that wood to degrade into carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide and coal, right? It doesn't become more complex. Well, the law, the second law of thermodynamics basically says that all of this world is moving towards nothingness, not away from it. It's not getting more complex. It's getting less complex. But the idea of the Big Bang is the idea that something very simple exploded into things that are greater in complexity. Third, it denies the thing that everybody in this world knows in their core. It denies something that we all know just by plain common sense. And that is that order does not come from disorder. Just look at my child's bedroom, right? Order does not come from disorder. Disordered things remain disordered. And ordered things can move towards disorder but they typically remain ordered. So, but something that is disordered does not all of a sudden become ordered. And intelligence doesn't come from lifeless things. Intelligence doesn't come from inert matter. And life does not come from non-life. Life comes from life. It doesn't come from non-life. So we reject that. But we also reject in this belief that God made all things, we reject the belief that the universe has always existed. You know, some people say, well, yeah, I see that that, you know, you can't have something that comes from nothing. So maybe the universe has just always existed. Maybe the universe is God. Maybe the universe is what we should should admire and pray to. And you have people who believe that really there is nothing else but nature, but nature in some way is sacred. Pagans today equate the universe with God. They value Mother Earth as divine. They worship stars and they appeal to natural forces as though they had some personal involvement in our lives. No, we believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And we believe this because we see it in two places. We see it revealed to us in nature itself, and we see it revealed to us in the Word of God. So I want you to consider three ways that nature reveals God to be who He is, to be the creator, and and three ways that Scripture reveals Him to be the creator. First, nature reveals God through its order. If the universe came into existence by chaos, then we could not expect an ordered world. You would expect if chaos caused this world, then the world is just chaos. It's just unpredictable. And yet, that's not what we find at all. Instead, we find a predictable world in which we can trust that when we discover a law of nature, that we can always apply that law of nature. Just like I was talking about the laws of force and motion and all of that. You can trust that that works the same everywhere you go. And if it doesn't work the same, 
then there's a reason for that. There's a variable that we haven't considered yet. Not only that, but our universe is perfectly balanced. Now, scientists say, and I don't know how they know this, but scientists say that there are an exact equal number of negative electrons to positive protons in this universe. They say if it was one proton off or one neutron, uh, uh, electron off, this world, this universe, could not exist as it is. But in, in, as it is, it is perfectly balanced between positive charge and negative charge throughout this universe, not just in this world, but throughout this universe. Not only that, but this is fascinating to me because I'm. Uh, my dad loves to do uh, telescoping and plant. It loves space, and I guess I have been influenced by him, and I, I enjoy thinking about it too. But did you know that our solar system is perfectly balanced? Think about this. You know that massive planet out there in our solar system called Jupiter. It's the largest planet in our solar system, and that planet, if it did not exist. Earth itself would be in a, have in uninhabitable. That's the word. It would be uninhabitable. You know why? Because Jupiter is so big that every comet and asteroid that whizzes by it on its way to Earth is absorbed into Jupiter. And if it isn't absorbed into Jupiter, it is knocked off its course enough that it won't hit Earth. And so because Jupiter is there, life on Earth can exist. And not just that, but the moon itself is perfectly affixed in the sky. It is perfectly affixed in orbit so that we have life on earth. If the moon were just a few yards closer, just a few yards closer, not not hundreds of miles, not a few feet or, or, or hundreds of feet or thousands of feet, but a few yards closer. If the moon were just a few yards closer, the tides would be so great that life could not exist on this earth, that it would flood the earth every time the moon made its circle around the, the earth. So the moon is perfectly situated in the orbit to govern our tides and seasons. And this order only could come by the hand of a great designer. It could own, this perfectly tuned world, this perfectly tuned universe could only come by the hand of a great designer. Second, nature reveals God through its beauty. Now, the scientist tells us that flowers are colorful because they attract bees. They explain that the sky turns beautiful shades in the evening because of the prismatic effect of the water molecules in the, in the air. They observe that a duck's immaculate plume is only there for mating purposes. And yet, when we look at a field of flowers, a mountaintop sunset, or a wood duck, we don't look at that as though it is bland scientific fact. We don't look at a beautiful sunset and say, huh, look at that prismatic effect of the water molecules. That's not what y'all say. If you do, you're a nerd. I'm sorry. <laughs> Because I'm a nerd and I don't say that when I say see a beautiful sunset. Instead, what do we say? We say, wow, look at the beauty, right? Look at the majesty of that. Look at that duck that has, uh, it, it has these beautiful colors. And obviously, there was a great uh, artist that made that. 
There was a great artist that painted that landscape. There's a great artist that made the flowers of those fields. If the world were just a set of meaningless, chaotic, unrelated scientific laws, where does the beauty come from? And why do we perceive it to be beautiful? If it's not, if it's just meaningless science, why do we perceive it to be beautiful? Beauty comes from the mind of a good God. That is where beauty comes from. Third, nature reveals God through its purposefulness. Again, the scientists will explain that the bee cannot exist without the flower and the flower without the bee. The scientists will also explain that whole ecosystems are finely tuned so that the animals and the plants and even the ground itself all work together to sustain life. And all of this points to a purpose. The bee was made to pollinate and the flower was made to produce pollen. The river was made to flow with cool water from a mountain snow cap and the salmon were made to thrive in that cool water. Man and woman seem to be made for a purpose too. Among all of creation, we alone concern ourselves with the care of this world. Have you ever thought about that? You don't see bears out planting trees, right? And you don't see whales worrying about the alkalinity of the water. But mankind is concerned among all of the creation uh, with sustaining and caring for this world. It seems as though we have been fitted for gardening. It seems as though we have been fitted to have dominion over this world. It seems as though we are to use the world that we are in to make new things, to make new stuff out of the stuff of this world. This purposefulness points to a heavenly father who has made us for it. So God has not only revealed himself in creation, but he's also revealed himself in his word. So to end today, I want us to consider Genesis chapter one. And I want to notice three ways that God has made this world. And in those three ways, how they speak to God's character. First of all, God has made this world with boundaries. Notice verses 3 and 4 with me. It says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the, that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, in this passage, and throughout the book of uh, the chapter one of Genesis, we see that God separates and he forms this world with boundaries. Here he separates light from dark. In verse six, he separates the waters into the sky, the sea and the heavens. In verse nine, he distinguishes water from earth. When he begins to create life on earth, he creates each according to its kind. So he makes uh, he sets up boundaries between plant life and fish and birds and creeping things and animals of the forest and the field. Then in the pinnacle of his creation in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, he creates man in his own image. But even there, he creates a separation between male and female, establishing distinct natures and roles for each. God created an ordered 
bounded world which, uh, with His laws, in which His laws govern everything from gravitational force to the fruits that His people should eat. Second, God created this world to be beautiful. Look over with me at verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So at various points in this story, it says that God declares something to be good. And then at the end of His creation, in verse 31, He declares all of it to be very good. Now the Hebrew word used here for good is the word toba, which means more than just a moral goodness. Rather, it means to fit the purpose for which something was created. Now I've talked about this before, but uh, I, I have this sense of the idea of toba every time I sit down at our dinner table with my family to eat because I made the dinner table that we sit down to eat at. And so every time I sit down to eat, I get to enjoy the table that I made because it fulfills the purpose for which I made it. It is good. It is toba in that sense. So maybe if you've made something or you've painted something or you've played a, a piece of music and played it as it was written or, 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 or written a piece of music and it is, it is, uh, you've played it in a way that you enjoy, then you've experienced toba. If you've learned a skill and picked up on something and then you've used that to, to do something that you never have before, then you've experienced toba. It's the essence of what it means to be beautiful, to show forth the purpose for which you were created. This world is good. It is beautiful because God has made it to be so. This world is fitted for our good, for our purposes, for our enjoyment, so that we might marvel in the creator that has made it. And lastly, God created this world to be blessed. To see that, look back a few verses at verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in this verse, God blesses the man and the woman. He gives them a command that they are to be fruitful and multiply. You see, God has created this world to bring forth the blessing of life. As I said earlier, life does not come from non-life. Life exists by the express blessing of God. And it is God's will that life would multiply and fill His creation. As Christians, we value human life from womb to tomb. We believe that every life has potential because every life is made in the image of God, regardless of whether that life resides in the womb or on a deathbed. Every life is valuable to God, whether born with Down syndrome or as a prodigy. Every life is meaningful, regardless of race, nationality, or economic position. God has blessed this world with life. 
and we should defend it. But we shouldn't just defend it. We should promote practices that encourage life. We should promote practices like marriage and family and the raising of children. We should teach our children to find one of their greatest purposes and responsibilities in the having and raising of the next generation. God has made us for this blessing and we should rightly value it. Brothers and sisters, it has become a conviction of mine that one of the greatest ways that Satan wars against the will of God is to bring chaos to God's ordered world. Satan, his goal, one of his goals is to degrade the beauty and the order and the value, the blessing with which God made this world. And you find that in the way that this, our society devalues life, it devalues order, it devalues purpose altogether. You find that in the fact that children today do not know what purpose they live for. And so they live for the purpose of gaming, they live for the purpose of, uh, uh, of uh, illicit relationships, they live for the purpose of abuse of substances. They live for purposes of pleasure, but they do not live for the purpose for which God made them, which is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, to bring beauty and glory and uh, majesty to this world that God has made. That is the reason that we were made. That is the reason for your existence, friend. You exist to be part of this ordered, beautiful, blessed world. He has made you for a purpose. Yet the only way to truly know the purpose that God has made you for is to find it in Him. So won't you trust in Christ today and find your life in Him? Brothers and sisters, we worship a good Creator who has fitted us for this world and given us a purpose. And so may we leave this place to bring glory to Him, to use our talents and our gifts to bring order to this world, to raise our families in the admonition of the Lord so that they know their purpose and they go out into this world to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That is the reason for which we were made and that is the reason for which God has blessed us. And may we leave this place and be this blessing in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have created us with a purpose. You have created us to be a blessing, to bring order out of chaos, to bring uh, life where there is only death. And Lord, I pray that through uh, the power of your spirit, we might leave this place and do just that. Lord, I pray that you would bless us now as we respond in faith to your calling. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.